Welcome to this End of Life episode 56. I'm Jessica Duffin and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. This episode is sponsored by my friends at BU. BU are the people helping you to reduce your period pain with nature. They provide quality pure CBD balms, drops and sprays as well as their incredible period patches which you guys know I love. Some of you have asked what's the best way to get the most out of your patches. Just like most things with endometriosis, everyone is different. So you need to find a method that works for you. But many have written in to say that they find applying the patches a day or so before their period helps to soothe and calm the inflammation before their period even starts. I tend to wear them one to two days before my period so that I can get, um, well, I, I get a bit of backache. So that really helps to ease that. And as a result, I find that the pain is much, if I get pain, it's a lot more subtle when my period does start. They come in a pack of five, so should last for the majority of your period, and you can subscribe so you can get them every month. They're $6.99 for a pack or $4.99 if you go for a subscription. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes and start soothing period cramps the natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list. This free download gives you an overview of the endometriosis diet and eating for your hormones, tips on shopping for endo on a budget and deep dives into everything I eat on a weekly basis every month. I've also provided my favourite resources for learning more about nutrition for endo if you want to go that bit further. This download is a really perfect way to get an understanding of an anti-inflammatory diet for endometriosis and what that might look like. As always, this guide doesn't replace your medical treatment and it's not intended to treat or cure endometriosis, but it provides you with options that help me to live well with endometriosis. And it's here to inspire you to shop maybe a little bit differently and try different foods out. It's not a diet protocol, so it's not a diet that you should be following, you know, to a T perfectly. This is my personal diet and it's here to serve you and inspire you and give you some ideas and see what eating for endo is like in real life. To download just head to the show notes and follow the link to get your copy. So today I want to talk to you about interstitial setup oh my gosh started already interstitial cystitis which is otherwise known and more commonly known as painful bladder syndrome. The reason why I want to talk about it is because we I talked about it really early on in the podcast with Heather Crosby, but I've learned so much more about it since. And I think it's such a prominent issue with people with endometriosis that it's important for me to kind of dive into it in a bit more detail. So painful bladder syndrome is a condition that often causes a lot of confusion because it's quite poorly understood. The symptoms are that it causes pain within the bladder, pressure. So often it can feel like someone is pushing down on your bladder. That's how I experience it anyway. Bladder frequency. So I know I'm not alone in needing to go to the toilet continuously. It can also result in bladder urgency and it often worsens around your period or in lead up to your period. It definitely does for me. And after certain foods and drinks like tomatoes, lemons, spicy foods. If I'm honest, when I've researched painful bladder syndrome, I've kind of found different explanations for it. And for quite a long time, I just I thought it was um, blisters in the bladder lining. It's not an infection. It's not something that has been caught from an STI or um, can or like a urinary tract infection. It can't be treated with antibiotics and they don't currently have a cure for it. They have different treatments for it and they do have diet protocols for it. The treatments seem to vary in success and I will put a link in the show notes to the NHS kind of guidelines around treatments. 
A lot of the treatments are quite unpleasant and invasive, such as having a catheter, then they kind of like inject um, a chemical concoction into your bladder, um, I think on like a fairly regular basis to calm it down. Um, there are there's like a drug that can be used. I don't think I it doesn't seem to be super effective from what I have learned, but yet again, there's not masses amount out there. And they can even reconstruct your blood out of your small intestine. So quite invasive. And if you don't want to be on any more medication, you might want to opt for a different route, but medication might be the right one for you. Um, So have a look at those. But the theory out there is that there's potentially an issue with, or most likely an issue with the pelvic floor muscles. And that there's also an autoimmune reaction that's triggered by what the body is perceiving as allergens um, that have passed through damaged bladder lining. So a little bit like leaky gut. So with leaky gut, you've got your stomach lining, which is very thin, and nutrients pass through that stomach lining, but particles of food shouldn't be passing through stomach lining. But due to different things like stress, there can be little gaps in that stomach lining. And then particles of food go through into your bloodstream. And what happens is the body, the immune, the immune system, and a large part of the immune system is actually in and around the gut, reacts. So there's kind of like immune cells outside of the gut waiting to clear up any kind of anything that shouldn't be there, anything that passes through pathogens you know any kind of bacteria that's come off gone off food or something that you've eaten that you know wasn't wasn't quite right and they react to those food particles as if they are foreign bodies so they attack them and this will offers obviously be worse for foods that you're intolerant to but over time as the body gets more and more inflamed it begins attacking everything that passes through because firstly it shouldn't be there Um, And secondly, it's just in this constant state of like heightened immune response. And from my understanding with painful bladder syndrome, we've got a similar thing going on with the bladder. The bladder wall has been damaged or weakened for some kind of reason, which we'll explore in a minute. And that is causing kind of particles, allergens, chemicals, compounds, that kind of thing to pass through the bladder lining into the... I guess, the bladder wall. And that's creating inflammation and autoimmune reaction. It's worse from particular foods, which we will get into. There's also this component of the pelvic floor muscles being quite, being tight, being damaged, being hypersensitive. And that's obviously really common with people with endometriosis as well. And this is really relevant because it's been found in a very famous study that 90% of women confirmed with endometriosis also had symptoms of interstitial cystitis. And there's definitely other components going on within the pelvis and the abdomen that can be causing bladder pain and discomfort. But painful bladder syndrome and the tightness of the pelvic floor and a damage to the bladder lining can be a real source of pain and discomfort for many people with endometriosis and painful bladder syndrome. The cause is um, the causes are like uncertain, but it's believed that there's some kind of trigger often, and that starts off the development of painful bladder syndrome. So some of the examples, um, I think this was from the NH was it from the NHS? Might have been the Painful Bladder Association. I think that's what they're called. I will link to some resources in the show notes. So some of the triggers could be bladder trauma, like pelvic surgery. I've also wondered whether bladder trauma, such as like a car accident or a catheter could be, you know, could have caused some damage as well. Um, I know in my case, I had my car accident and all of the brakes were in my pelvic region and I had to have a catheter and I'll talk about it in a bit but I felt 
that something was wrong with my bladder from that point onwards. And then of course, on top of that, I then had endosurgery like a couple of years later. Pelvic floor muscle dysfunction is um, cited as a trigger. So I'm not 100% sure whether it would be like endometriosis comes first and then painful bladder syndrome develops. But if you are in pain all the time and your pelvic floor is getting tighter and tighter, perhaps that could be a trigger. I'm just kind of guess speculating here, but perhaps that could be a trigger to painful bladder syndrome. So if if your pelvic floor is getting more and more tight from the pain from endometriosis, it could also be triggered by an autoimmune disorder. And we do know that, I can't think of the stats off the top of my head, but we do know that people with endometriosis do have higher rates of autoimmune disorders and there is an autoimmune component to endometriosis. could be triggered by infection, inflammation of the nerves, which sounds really likely in the case of endometriosis. We've already got a lot of inflammation and sensitivity going on in that area. And then lastly is spinal cord trauma. And what's really interesting is I broke my spine when I was in the car accident as well. But although that's not the spinal cord, it's just the bones. So those are some of the triggers. And I, if you're anything like me, I think you might recognize your story somewhere in there. My bladder issues, as I said, I think they began when I was around 18, but I can't fully remember. But I don't recall having these issues when I was at school. It was after the car accident when I was 17 and I was in college that I I basically had this catheter put in, which was really, really traumatic because the catheter had to go in when I had everything broken, freshly broken. It was the most excruciating pain that I've ever been through. It's so excruciating that I can't even recall what it felt like because it's so beyond my kind of imagination of what pain could be like that. Yeah, it was just, it. so the trauma to that area already would be huge. And then on top of that, I'm a tube has been inserted into that area when it's all broken. So I think that could have created the trauma. And then, so when I was in hospital and I, I had this catheter, I didn't have any sensation of needing to go to the toilet. And then one day, like a couple of weeks in, I suddenly needed, like, I needed a wee. And I was said to the nurse, like, I don't understand. Like, I, I haven't ever felt like the urge to go yet. So is something wrong? Like, why do I suddenly, like, need to go? And why is my catheter just, like, not filling up? Like, why is it not responding? Like, I haven't needed... I haven't felt like I've needed to go because the urine has just been emptying into the catheter. And she was like, no, that... I never felt very confident in her reply. She was like, oh, your bladder was probably just bruised and you weren't feeling anything and now you can feel something. It's normal. And I was like, so what does that mean? Like, it's no longer emptying into into my catheter. Like, I have to push as if I'm going to the toilet. And she was like, yeah, that's that's what you have to do, which never seemed right to me that I was having to essentially like pee into the catheter. Like if anyone else knows anything about catheters, like let me know. But it didn't feel right because how was I, how had I gone for three weeks about having to like, like physically empty my, consciously empty my bladder. And then all of a sudden I had to empty my bladder consciously from that point onwards. It didn't seem right. And I, I was obviously like pushing which can cause damage to your pelvic floor. So then I got the catheter out when I went home. And from that point onwards, I feel like that's when my problem started. And I continuously needed, like I had really high bladder frequency pressure. Just It just didn't feel right. I didn't really have any pain at that point. But then I was so in so much pain that I wouldn't have known if it was to do with my bladder. I thought it was all to do with my breaks. And as I got better, I thought the bladder frequency would go away, but it didn't. It got worse and it felt like someone was pushing on my bladder. And 
there were one or two occasions where I had to go to A&E because I think the pain had started and and for some reason one time it made me feel faint and I kept being diagnosed with kidney and urine infections without even being tested like they weren't checking if you know there was any signs of an infection they just listened to my symptoms and they were like yeah that's a urine infection gave me antibiotics and I, I mean I had a couple different rounds of antibiotics over the years as a result of that and I was given tools to tighten my pelvic floor which as we know now is a really bad idea for endometriosis um I didn't really use them that much thankfully but they wanted me to tighten my pelvic floor so that I could be more in control of my pelvis and I was told not to drink too much and to reduce the amount of water I was drinking and to train my bladder by holding my urine for longer periods of time. And kind of after that, I just really gave up. And when I found out I had endometriosis, I thought that that was the answer. And I thought that when I had my endometriosis, you know, um, removed, that it would get better. But it didn't. And they didn't find any endometriosis on my bladder. And then my bladder got worse and worse. And I thought they would find it on my bladder the next time I had the surgery, but they didn't. And it was only when I was talking to Heather, well, I found out her story before we did the interview and I started doing some research into what interstitial cystitis or painful bladder syndrome was, that it was just like when I learned about endo and I read the symptoms and every cell in my body was like, yes, yes, that's me. That's me. And then when I spoke to Heather and we discussed it and, you know, I discovered about the high correlation between people with endometriosis and I see, I listened to the symptoms that Heather had and I described my symptoms. There were so many similarities and she got what I was saying, even though it was hard to describe. And I got what she was saying. I was like, this, this is what I have. And it makes so much sense that, you know, I haven't got any endo on my bladder, but I'm feeling, feeling these, these symptoms. And I didn't really understand or know anything about the pelvic floor at that point. And I just kind of thought it was a disease and it was to do with inflammation. And I thought maybe that my endometriosis had caused it by me being so inflamed. I went to the doctor's. And I described my symptoms and they agreed. And I was told in the past, and I feel like maybe this was the old way of diagnosis because so many people told me this, that to be diagnosed, you had to have a camera inserted up the urethra and they would be able to diagnose IC that way. But since then, and from recent like readings, it seems that it's about the presence of symptoms of various symptoms that indicate painful bladder syndrome and the absence of anything else. So the absence of bacteria, um, infections and any, any other conditions it could be. So kind of eliminating those conditions and then you get to your painful bladder syndrome diagnosis. So he didn't think that I needed a camera inserted. So I've never had an official diagnosis from well I have like the doctor diagnosed me but I've never kind of had any investigative treatment and it doesn't seem like that's actually necessary from my understanding since then it has continued unfortunately to be an ongoing battle I find that my bladder wakes me up um as soon as it kind of fills up it wakes me up with burning and then I go to the toilet and I can't get back to sleep because it's burning so bad. Um, and it that's it. My, my night's gone often. I might fall asleep again at 6am. But it really hugely disturbs my sleep. And it keeps me up as well. So if my I at one point I found that I couldn't sleep for hours on end because my bladder was just burning. And this goes in waves and back when this was happening really intensely I was actually taking a liquid form of B supplements and when I started doing some research and I discovered that B vitamins can aggravate the bladder 
when you have painful bladder syndrome, I was like, well, of course, like they're liquid. It's a liquid form. It's going to be going much more easily to my bladder. And I cut them out and I changed to um, a food supplement form. And that made such a big difference. It didn't eliminate it completely, but it meant I was able to get to sleep. And now falling asleep isn't so much of a problem, but it's more, occasionally it can be. Um, I find that if I put a BU patch on, that really helps me fall back to sleep, uh, fall to sleep. But it's really the waking up that has been more problematic in the past, I don't know, more recent years. My bladder frequency is insane, (laughs) exhausting, Um, depending on kind of whether I'm, I guess you could call it a flare up, whether it's like flared up. I don't think it's ever gone for me. I think it's always hypersensitive. So my like toilet trips will vary from if it's really bad, like literally needing to go every 15 minutes and not feeling that I've emptied it. So I will go and then I'll stand up and be like, oh, it's not empty. And I sit back down, stand up, sit back down. And it's often much worse at night. I find that I go to the toilet to empty my bladder before bed. And I guess because I'm like hyper aware that it will keep me awake, but it just seems to go into overdrive or sensitivity. And honestly, I will be in the bathroom sometimes like 15 minutes getting up and down trying to empty my bladder and then I get back into bed and then I've got to get back up like minutes later. It's it's honestly sometimes not even minutes. I literally sit down. I'm like, I need to go again. What the hell? It's really, really tedious. And I find that when I'm having sex, it's the same time. It's the same. I often have to stop multiple times to go. When it's not too bad, I'm going to the toilet at least every hour that's kind of a, a a normal day when it's like not really playing up and I always feel this pressure as if someone's pushing I, I can feel it right now someone's pushing on my bladder so it never feels like it's empty like you know that pressure you get as your bladder fills up imagine someone pushes on it like have you ever had a friend do that to you and you really need a wee and then they like push on your bladder that kind of feeling. Yeah, I never really feel like my blood is empty. It's always like filling up immediately as soon as I go and or it's just it it never completely emptied in the first place. Um, and recently it's really led to like a chronic level of pain. I had like three, four weeks where I was just in continuous pain and it really got me down. Like it really got me down. This episode was sponsored by BU Period Patches, the 100% natural period patches that stick onto your abdomen or back like a plaster and deliver menthol and eucalyptus oil to your muscles and reduces your cramps and your pain. You know if you listen to this podcast that lots of people with endometriosis are experiencing a hell of a lot of relief from using these. So I thought I'd share you um, another testimonial. I can't tell you how fantastic it is to find something like this when you have a chronic condition like endo and you just want 5% of your normal life back. Something like this can have a huge difference. I have a long flight coming up in a few days time and I'm so glad I found these in time. Thank you again. So that's a really good point. Like traveling with BU period patches it's just so much easier. I think I told you guys that I was on my way to Cardiff. I think it was about a three-hour trip um, in total because I lived in Margate at the time, maybe even longer. And my period came whilst I was on the train. Great timing. So the only thing that I had access to was my BU period patches. And they really, really saved me. And I used them for the rest of the trip. And it, yeah, they just helped so much. So um, having them for travel they're light they're not going to be you're not going to be stopped for yeah by security for having like a weird looking tens machine in your bag i mean they're super super thin so they're not going to take up much space in your bag um i highly recommend them for traveling 
if you would like to try them out just use the link in my show notes um they are 4.99 for a subscription a monthly subscription and 5.99 for just a one-off order yeah so let me know if you try them this episode is also sponsored by my free endometriosis diet grocery list this download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow, but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. Finally, I just want to share with you guys that I'm so excited. Today, just bought the Gluten-Free Bacon Academy course. Every time it opens for enrollment, I have every intention of booking the course and doing the course. But I've either like needed to spend the money on something else all of a sudden or... I've just suddenly got really busy and it doesn't make sense to commit. Like there's always been something coming up. And this year living in Margate, I haven't got access to the greatest gluten-free bread. And I've started having like sourdough a bit more than I would normally. Like I've, I've said to you guys before that I kind of will have sourdough like once or twice in a month, but it has crept up. And I've noticed like my symptoms creeping up with that as well. Like not necessarily just the endo symptoms, but my kind of gluten intolerance issues that I have. And yeah, I was just like, no, I have to do this course. And I'm really excited because I'm going to be qualifying very soon on my women's health coaching course. So I kind of want to like treat myself to this other fun course at the end of it. Not that this hasn't been fun, it's been fascinating. And kind of spend like December and December like baking and making these amazing breads. So the Gluten-Free Bacon Academy is open for enrollment now. It's created by Heather Crosby, who has been a guest on the show twice. And it's a four-week online course. You go at your own pace, but the modules are released every week for four weeks. And you have lifetime access, so you can go back to it whenever you want. It teaches you how to make the best gluten-free breads ever. Her breads and recipes are insane. I've got Heather's cookbooks. And I've seen her recipes online and I've never seen gluten-free bacon look like this. I can't, like, I just can't believe it's gluten-free. You get 18 videos and you learn how to make breads that are like flatbreads, quick breads, yeast breads. You get to make sourdough, bagels, English muffins, pizza bases. You get 36 recipes and I think I mentioned 18 videos. You get an ebook. And once you complete the course, you also get extra videos, extra ebooks, and 15 more recipes. I'm so excited. I can't actually start the course when it begins. So it begins on the 23rd of September, but I will be doing it towards the end of the year. And I just think it's going to be a really lovely way to kind of get me back on track with eating. Like I love bread. So getting back on track with eating like bread that's made out of good nutrients, because around here, I can't always get the best options I did find a really great Sainsbury's one but they stopped doing it temporarily because of packaging or some random issue like that so I'm so excited to get my hands on some gluten-free sourdough if you are interested the enrollment period ends on Sunday the 22nd 8 p.m eastern standard time um so for you guys in the UK I don't know why I said you guys like I'm not one of you for us in the UK that is I think it's about midnight or 1 a.m and it costs $199. And if you would like to support this show, I've put an affiliate link in the show notes, which means that I get a percentage of the course. So when you purchase it, a little bit goes back to me and that helps me to cover the costs of the podcast. And yeah, I just love everything that Heather does and I'm really excited to do the course. And if you're doing it as well, I'd love you to kind of share the pictures with me DM me or tag me I'm going to try and do when I start doing it like do like Instagram stories or like some Instagram lives maybe when I'm like learning how to bake these things so that could be quite fun so I'd love to see you guys doing it as well so that's the gluten-free baking academy the link is in my show notes (music) 
there is a diet and my my symptoms were a lot worse when I was eating strong chocolate so like dark chocolate tomatoes alcohol and citrus fruits um and coffee decaf or not and tea decaf or not it includes things like cutting out tea coffee alcohol um chocolate b vitamins potassium um citrus fruits and in the beginning i was just avoiding key triggers like alcohol caffeine citrus fruits tomatoes were really bad for me and i kind of refused to give up chocolate but i i had this moment recently and i think this is why i got so down where um i was reading the book beaten endo which is brilliant by the way and they talked about some of the key triggers and they were ones that i'd read about before but i had kind of like chosen to ignore because i was like oh i'm having like i'm i'm doing okay enough with cutting out the key ones for me um but it's just progressively getting worse so it's not enough anymore and some of the things that they mentioned um are b vitamins turmeric now they i i'm I would love to talk to the doctors who wrote this and just get a bit of clarification around it because spicy foods often cause painful bladder syndrome and I don't know if that's why they're including turmeric or whether, because they specifically talk about turmeric supplements and say that a lot of health supplements include potassium and I don't know if they were just listing turmeric as an example but when I drink turmeric, it reduces my pain and... Like I had a really bad incident of painful bladder syndrome a a little while ago and I had a really big, really strong turmeric latte and it massively helped and it hugely helps my endometriosis. I've talked about it before and I'm going to talk about it again. I'm going to do an episode on turmeric. I'm I'm a big advocate for turmeric. So reading that a turmeric supplement could be potentially triggering was really devastating for me as well as b vitamins because I knew about b vitamins but I thought that maybe I could get around it by taking a food grown supplement rather than a liquid form and b vitamins are so important for our hormone health like so so essentially important and without b12 we can get really significant cognitive damage which leads to depression and can literally lead to permanent depression because of the damage done to our brain. So it's so important when I take B vitamins, because I don't eat meat and dairy, I do need to supplement at least on some of the B vitamins. So I need that. I need to do that. And I also, you know, chocolate, cacao, I used cacao to really help me with my brain fog. You know, I I have cacao in my morning drink, my lion's milk, and it really helps me to feel more alert and it's full of magnesium. And it really is my favorite treat, 100% dark chocolate that has no sugar in or raw cacao, making my own kind of recipes with cacao. It's my treat. I love chocolate and I had just found like a way to really enjoy and indulge in chocolate without any sweeteners that were going to upset my stomach and without any sugar by having this 100% cacao and to read that I really needed to cut down on it or cut it out completely when it helps me so much with my kind of energy. Um, You know, I I have it every day in in the morning and, and it's this kind of like lovely treat that I can have without triggering my endo just this combination of like okay so my b vitamins that that manage my that help me with my hormones my turmeric that reduces my pain and the cacao and also like I was able to have some citrus fruits and then now recently I just can't seem to tolerate them at all and they really are the things that kind of zest up our dressings and our salads and our things like that really lift our food cutting those out I just felt really helpless and just like oh what more can I do I have created my own version of an endometriosis diet that really really works for me 
doing well with it. And these things are really integral to how I feel physically and mentally with endo. And now I'm being told I can't have them. I just felt like I just don't know where to start and felt really, really lost. And it obviously wasn't helping with the pain. So I'm still like really early on into this journey, like so, so early on. But I have cut down on the cacao um, and I'm going to start kind of trying out things like carob or making like a white chocolate because that's obviously not going to be a high percentage of cacao. And I think I'm going to try replacing cacao with cordyceps because I don't have cordyceps that often. But in my lion's milk, I'm going to try like maybe reducing the cacao or eliminating it. I have been eliminating it recently and that's been helping. But I, I'm not getting the same kick that I got from my lion's milk. So I'm going to like like reintroduce cordyceps again because I haven't bought them recently. And they deliver like more oxygen to the blood. They're very energizing. And that's kind of what cacao was doing for me. It was like energizing. So... I'm going to introduce those into my lion's milk recipe and see how I get on with that. But I'm not going to entirely, I'm not going to cut out chocolate for the rest of my life at all. But I do think that I need to follow an elimination diet for a period of time to reduce the inflammation and the damage that's being done in my bladder. Um, so in beaten endo, they recommend following a specific list of foods for endometriosis for sorry for painful bladder syndrome but the problem is and what a problem that a lot of us have is that it's often like a list that's not tailored for endometriosis and inflammation so you will have to go through and adjust accordingly to what you know are your triggers and also what are inflammatory foods I think reading what the most bothersome foods are could be really helpful if you're suffering and just kind of like cutting out those key ones if you're not really ready to commit to an elimination diet. And with the elimination diet, elimination diets are never long-term because you're cutting out such a significant amount of nutrients and, and food groups. It's not sustainable and it's not really that healthy. So with beaten endo and with all elimination diets, they recommend kind of like cutting out all of those trigger foods for a period of time and then introducing them one by one and seeing which one causes a reaction and then once you know what causes a reaction you can make that decision whether to like only have that every now and then or eliminate it completely and then the things that aren't triggering you you can you can keep in your diet if you don't feel like you're ready to do an elimination diet then I would read what the most bothersome foods are I will put a link in the show notes because um there is a UK, I think it's a charity that, that talks about that. So that can be really helpful. And then there are obviously seeing a pelvic floor therapist more and more. I'm just so convinced that in an ideal world, everyone with endometriosis and painful bladder syndrome would have a pelvic floor therapist um, to reduce that tension, that tightness, that pressure, the hypersensitivity of the nerves and the muscles in that area is essential especially according to the doctors in beaten endo and um with dr jessica drummond really kind of a lot of experts are saying it, it's not just nutrition it's pelvic floor therapy is really essential and if you can't afford a pelvic floor therapist at the moment i do really recommend beaten endo because they do have exercises for to help with your bladder they, of course, highly recommend getting a pelvic floor therapist. But if it's not possible, then they, they also have some exercises that they give you to do at home with the assumption that you're also going to get a pelvic floor therapist. But if you can't, then, of course, doing some of these exercises will be helpful. And then something that's really, you know, obvious with endometriosis and with painful blood syndrome is reducing that inflammation in your body because the more inflamed you are, the more your immune system's going to be reacting and the more pain you're going to be experiencing. So that's going to look like reducing your inflammation through food, through stress, through doing reducing your stress, through doing relaxation exercises, maybe introducing some, you know, some yoga, some mindfulness, some breathing techniques, 
if you have the capacity to address some of the areas in your life that are stressing you out, looking at those, finding some support in whatever form that is, whether that's talking to a therapist or talking to a friend, and maybe introducing some anti-inflammatory supplements. Jessica Drummond actually has a pre-written protocol, elimination diet for IC and endometriosis. So I'm just going to kind of read you the foods that she recommends to eat in this elimination diet. It's, you know, it's shared with us on our course and it's for us to use and share with our like clients when we're coaching. But I, I do want to kind of like adapt it and make my own version with a protocol that I will share with you guys. I think it will be in quite the distant future, maybe next year. But for now, I thought I'd share this with you. And I might sound a little bit far away because I am recording on a tiny desk and I have to kind of like balance my laptop and look down to be able to to read it. So the foods that she says to enjoy are asparagus, avocado, beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, carrots, cauliflower, celery, chives, cucumber, green beans, leafy greens, olives, black, parsley, mushrooms, pumpkin, yams and sweet potato, radishes, rhubarb, something I've never heard before. Maybe it's um, an American name. Rutabaga? Never heard of this. Rutabaga? Squash, um, turnips, and then proteins, organic and pasture-raised chicken or turkey, wild-caught fish, grass-fed and organic beef, veal or liver, protein powder, rice, hemp, collagen, or hydrolyzed beef, and then also beans and pulses, but they need to be from a company that doesn't put BPA or chemicals in their lining. So you might want to look for glass. For me, in the UK, it's Biona Foods. All of their cans and glass jars are BPA-free and kind of chemical-free. And in America, it's Eden Foods. So if you want to eat some protein from bean sources go go for that um fruits apples apple sauce um she's been very specific about the types of apples here so that might be there might be a reason so gala fuji and pink lady and then homemade apple sauce using those blueberries coconut with no additives and preservatives so if you're getting you know coconut cream um or coconut milk, make sure there's no additives or preservatives in there. Dates, again, no additives or preservatives. Do look on the back because with dried fruit, companies are really sneaky with adding added preservatives. Pears, watermelon, um, flavours, flavouring, allspice, almond extract, aniseed, basil, caraway seed. Oh, wait, no, sorry, not aniseed, anise. Coriander, dill, fennel, garlic, mace, marjoram, oregano, poppy seed, rosemary, vanilla extract, sage, sea salt, thyme and tarragon. Fats, nuts and seeds, she includes nuts and nut butters, almonds and cashews, coconut, olive oil and avocado oil. Um, sorry, coconut oil, um, olive oil and avocado oil. Grains are rice and rice pasta and quinoa. Now, I'm not sure why she hasn't included amaranth buckwheat those kind of things so I am going to talk to her about that and like I said when I've developed a detailed protocol myself I I will release that but those are some of the foods that you can enjoy in abundance when living with endo and bladder pain as long as you don't feel that they're triggering either of them and then in terms of what to avoid she says stress processed meats canned beans unless they are you know without the chemicals and bpa and stuff animal protein that's not organic fish fish that are heavy in toxins so things like tuna can have mercury in sugar or other natural or artificial sweeteners wheat or any other gluten containing grains caffeine trans fats or partially hydro hydrogenated oils flowers processed foods fast foods dairy Soy, except for fermented soy in small amounts. Eggs, unless you are aware that you're not sensitive to them. Peanuts, corn and alcohol. So I think that there is some detail missing on here. 
for Jessica because when I look at the recipes that she includes in this, she also includes things that aren't on the list to include. For example, seaweed, turmeric, cinnamon. She might have mentioned cinnamon, I'm not sure. But there are definitely some things that could be included that aren't in the list. So I think that is a general list. Um, so I just thought I'd share that with you because it is tailored for endo and IC. But also, like they suggest in beaten endo, it's worth having a look at, you know, a list. Um, and I'll put a couple of links in the show notes for IC and then kind of tailoring them around an anti-inflammatory diet and foods that trigger your endo, like removing foods that trigger your endo. You know, ideally, I wouldn't suggest doing this on your own. Have a look at what they recommend on the resources that I share in the show notes or have a read of the Beaten Endo book and follow that. Try to work with a health coach. There's obviously no harm cutting out your main key triggers, but I just wouldn't want someone to do an elimination diet and stick with it for six months and become malnourished. Um, So having some kind of guidance, whether that's a form of a book or guidance from a website, like an official kind of resource, like a charity, or having a coach, I think is is the best way to do it. But I wanted to give you some kind of general details if you wanted to make some some small changes now or you wanted to up the foods that don't trigger bladder pain so that you can, you know, eat well but also not trigger your pain. Um, also, some hacks that are helpful for me, I find, is marshmallow root tea. So I couldn't, I can never find it in shops. I can only find it online, like as pure marshmallow root tea. Um, that kind of coats your bladder lining. BU patches really, really help me and heat patches. So if I'm, if it's too late, I'm, I'm already in the middle of a flare, then um, using those have been really helpful. In terms of like the things like B vitamins and turmeric, I don't currently have an answer for that. I don't think fully eliminating B vitamins makes sense when you're vegan. I think it could cause a lot of issues. So that's something that I really want to explore with some experts. And I'm certainly going to have more experts talking about painful bladder syndrome in the future and how to manage that appropriately without, you know, having some nutrient deficiency problems, especially if you are more plant focused or you're trying to eliminate your red meat and your dairy because of you know, inflammation and endo, etc. So I'm definitely going to explore that more in the future. But I wanted to share what I've learned so far with you guys now, so that if you are experiencing bladder symptoms, you can start your own investigative journey and begin making some small changes that might help you feel relief. Because I, you know, when I, I have to admit now that I've cut out eating like 100% cacao like every day, I'm sleeping a lot better. I just, I discovered 100% cacao, like a cacao chocolate bar that I loved. And I was like, wow, this is going to give me no pain. There's no sugar in it. I can eat it every day. And I was just having like two squares a day and I was putting it in my like lion's milk. So I was having a thicker, like more luxurious milk. And I think it really, really triggered me. So I can have, I am finding that I can eat chocolate and not have a bad time with it if I have it in moderation, like not on a daily basis. But I don't think I've ever got to a point where my bladder isn't a problem. I've just become used to it. So I don't necessarily have the bladder pain, but I have the pressure and the frequency. And I guess in my head that was just a sensitive bladder and I just got used to living that way. But actually I think my, I've always got a level of flare up And I don't know what it would be like to live without that. So that's kind of why I want to do this elimination diet so I can really get my body down to a a good uninflamed level and um, start again. And I think also like you will have heard me talk with Megan about kind of the pattern that I've fallen into with my diet of like not eating any kind of trigger foods during my second half of my cycle and then my spring and summer phases come in and kind of going overboard at the weekends and I think I just because I'm now stuck in that habit I think 
doing an elimination diet, reducing my inflammation, just kind of starting from a good foundation will really help me to have more of a balanced approach. As I think my stress has created a few, not unhealthy habits, but just habits that aren't necessarily helping me. So yeah, I hope that was really helpful um, in some capacity. And if you do have painful bladder syndrome, like reach out to me, let me know what helps. I'm really interested in like learning more about this. Um, and if there's any specialists that you know that you think I should have on the show to talk about painful bladder syndrome, I would love to hear. So yeah, let me know what you think. Let me know what's been helpful for you. And if there's any resources you'd like to share with us, then that would be great. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.